गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीबॉडी टुडे आई स्नेग्ध शर्मा आई एम गोइंग टू प्रेजेंट द हिंदू एडिटोरियल डेटेड थर्ड मार्च 2021 दिस पॉडकास्ट इज फॉर दोस हु डू नॉट हैव टाइम टू रीड न्यूज़पेपर देमसेल्व्स द एनालिसिस ऑफ द एडिटोरियल इज गिवन ऑन द लास्ट सेगमेंट ऑफ द पॉडकास्ट लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड हैप्पी प्रिपरेशन The very first article of the day is the anatomy of a spring cease fire. Different from the earlier routine assurances, the new India-Pakistan agreement also diffuses an ugly two-front situation. This article is written by the renowned Happy Moon Jacob. In the wake of registering 5130 ceasefire violations in 2020 guns on either side of the line of control in Jammu and Kashmir fell silently on the on the intervening night of February 24th to 25 2021 the February ceasefire has triggered a widespread speculation about its durability significance and implication for the bilateral relations in general The announcement by the two director generals of military operations that it DGSMO came as a surprise to many and yet it underlined the simple fact that all statesmen women recognizable while in office of his countries cannot be run by rhetoric alone more so this announcement is also a recognition in new delhi and islamabad that they cannot afford to let a violence spiral out of control given its inherently escalatory nature as events in the v- v- wake of the pulwama terror attack in february 2019 highlighted peace feelers notwithstanding the surprise factor in the development there have been some indications about a possible thaw in the relations between the traditional rivals pakistan army chief akmar zawed bajwa stated in early february that it is time to extend hand of peace in all directions and on the indian side the army chief general manoj mukund narwani said around the same time that with our continuous engagement with pakistan we will be able to prevail over them for border peace as unsettled borders help no one in india allowed India allowed the use of its airspace by Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan's special aircraft to fly to Sri Lanka and just a day before the ceasefire announcement and upon his arrival in Colombo Mr Khan said our only sick dispute in Kashmir and it can only be resolved through dialogue clearly the two sides were setting the stage for the announcement significance of the ceasefire What makes the February uh, February ceasefire significant is the fact that this agreement is different from the routine ceasefire assurances that the two sides made till January 2021. Twice in 2018 for instance the two sides had agreed to uphold the ceasefire agreement when ceasefire violations were on the rise. But what makes the February 2021 ceasefire different is its two distinct features. One this was a joint statement by the two DGSMO and that unlike the previous declaration the recent agreement mentions a specific date that is the night of February 24 to 25 to begin the ceasefire 
In that sense, then the February ceasefire is arguably one of the most significant military measures by India and Pakistan in over 18 years to reduce violence along the LOC in Kashmir. Coming in the wake of over 5,000 ceasefire violations in the 2020, the highest in 19 years since 2002, the agreement. is pathbreaking from a conflict management point of view interestingly the november 2003 ceasefire agreement was also announced in the wake of a high level of violence through 2002 and 2003 the ceasefire is also significant because this helps new delhi to diffuse what was becoming a growing concern for the decision makers in new delhi an ugly two front situation uh, a feeling of being boxed in by an inimical pakistan and an aggressive china it is easy to talk about a two or a two and a half front situation for domestic grandstanding but dealing with it is neither easy nor practical that the indian army had to redeploy forces with the western border with pakistan to the northern border with china is indicative of the serious material challenges it could throw up The best way to deal with the two fronts challenge then New Delhi could have reason to was to diffuse at least one front. The LOC was a natural candidate given that the back channel process started much before the recent India China disengagement on the LAC. New Delhi must have decided to diffuse the western challenge from Pakistan first and it worked. A brief history The issue of India Pakistan ceasefire pacts and war termination agreements is both complex and complex and instructive. The Karachi agreement of 1949 which ended the first war between newly formed India and Pakistan was the first ceasefire agreement between the two countries which signed under the good offices of the United Nations created the India Pakistan boundary in Kashmir called the ceasefire line or CFL. The United Nations military observer group in India and Pakistan that is UNMOGIP was mandated to monitor the ceasefire along the CFL. The 1965 India Pakistan war, war also end, ended in a ceasefire but since status quo antebellum was restored after the Tashikant agreement the CFL in Kashmir remained unaltered. However, the India Pakistan war in 9th of 1971 would change that. The December ceasefire which ended the 1971 war was enshrined in the Shimla agreement the following year but unlike 1965 status quo antebellum was not stored by the Shimla agreement a decision that would have important implications for bilateral relations the the Sushetgarh agreement of 1972 delineated the line of control in Jammu and Kashmir which resulted from the ceasefire of December 1971 thereby renaming the CFL as the LOC but this smart move indian negotiators not only challenged the nomenclature of the india pakistan dividing line in kashmir and the physical alignment of the border in jammu and kashmir but also made the unmogip presence in kashmir irrelevant recall that the un force was mandated to ensure a ceasefire on the cfl but there was no cfl after 1972 and more so the un was not even a party to the shimla agreement unlike the karachi agreement 
Let us cut to the present. The 2003 agreement between the DGSMO communicated through a telephone call between them was a reiteration of the December 1971 war termination ceasefire. Technically, therefore, even the February 2021 ceasefire II is the reiteration of the 1971 ceasefire agreement. A form of intent, and yet, a ceasefire does not observe itself. It requires a clearly articulated and mutually agreed upon set of rules and norms for effective observance along with an intent to observe them. The February ceasefire is an expression of such an intent, but without the rules and norms to enforce it. The Shimla Agreement or the Sushit, uh, the Kurd Agreement do not have those rules either. The Karachi Agreement on the other hand had clearly laid down provisions on how to manage the CFL which of course was overtaken by the LOC. Ironically, therefore, armed forces deployed on either sides of the LOC in Kashmir often have to resort to the strictures uh, enshrined in the long-defunct Karachi Agreement to observe the ceasefire mandated by the Shimla Agreement. That is Shimla Agreement. This, this needs to change. Now that the two DGSMO have declared a joint ceasefire, the next logical step is to arrive at a set of rules to govern that ceasefire. An unwritten ceasefire experiences from conflict zones around the world show tend to break down easily and trigger tensions in other domains. Return to the back channel. What is also significant to note about the ceasefire agreement between the two DGSMO is that this was preceded by weeks, if not months, of high-level contracts through the back channel. For sure, major agreements of this kind cannot be finalized by army officers, especially given the vitiated atmosphere surrounding India-Pakistan relations. More crucially, the fact that this ceasefire has political blessings makes it more durable. Interestingly, the 2003 ceasefire was also preceded by discrete parleys between the heads of the Inter-Service Intelligence that is ISI of Pakistan and the Research Analysis Wing of India. The 2003 CFA led to sustained period of back-channel stocks on Kashmir by which uh, by mid-2007 had almost finalized the deal to resolve the Kashmir conflict. My research on the 2004-2007 Black Channel stocks shows how discrete conservations between high-level interlocutors, interlocutors appointed by the heads of government were able to make unprecedented progress on the mother of all India-Pakistan conflicts, that is Kashmir. What is also evident from that period is that one key reason why the CFA held at least Till 2008 was because there were parallel talks, along with holding fire on the LOC, on other outstanding bilateral issues, principally Kashmir, while whether the 2021 CFA would prompt talks in other areas is unclear as of now. I doubt the ability of a piecemeal agreement to create durable stability bilaterally unless followed by progress in other domains.
The second article of the day is the survey as policy with ideological overtones to say that growth and inequality converge in terms of their efforts on socio-economic outcomes is outrageous. This article is written by M. A. Omen. The Economic Survey 2021 does not seem to be a policy document derived straight from the numerical data of the economy or the social compulsions embedded in it. On the contrary, the survey rings with policy postulates based on strong ideological overtones. Of interest would be a chapter 4 captioned Inequality and Growth, Conflicts or Convergence, which is ostensibly an effort to identify the correct policy objectives for India. Needs for desirable desirable outcomes. Following the COVID-19 pandemic, India has fallen into the vortex of a once in a century crisis as of the survey forcefully puts it. It projects a V-shaped growth of recovery and reiterates the call of the Economic Survey 2019-20 for the ethical wealth creation by combining the invisible hands of markets with the hand of trust. Given the great uh, truth that trust is broken more in an unequal society on this, see Wilkinson and Pickett cited in the chapter, it is unrealistic to abstract from the crony capitalism and corruption that dominate the political society and proceed from there to ethical wealth production, which indeed is an important instrumental value. It is hoped that market-mediated growth will take the country to desirable socio-economic outcomes that include not only reducing poverty but also a wide spectrum ranging from infant mortality to mental illness a silence on poverty even so concerned scholars uh, scholars remain confused at the silence of the survey on the nature and magnitude of poverty which is a multi dimensional phenomena of uh, deprivation confounded much worse by the pandemic crisis the graphic pictures of migrant families trudging home hundreds of kilometers away from the cities in the wake of the lockdown seems forgotten at the same time chapter 1 of the survey documents elaborately Uh, the structural reforms achievements includes the controversial three reform laws to take the economy and the people forward scholarly estimates on the increase in the extreme poverty under the pandemic in india have ranged from 400 million a city of king's college london to 620 million oxfam oxfam study on the virus and inequality points out that while it took 9 months for the top 1000 billionaires to return to pre covid 19 times it will take over a decade for the poorest classes to resume normalcy interestingly india's stock exchanges have scaled unprecedented heights in mocking disregard to the informal sectors already in deep distress following the demonetization episode anyone familiar with the vast literature on economic growth and inequality will find the claims of the economic survey that unlike in advanced countries in india economic growth and inequality converge in terms of their effects on socio economic outcomes as simply outrageous because the 44 figures of correlations and regressions occupy more than 2/3 of the space of the chapter and form the scientific base to substantiate the argument i may probe further into them Correlations between two real scalar variables x and y does not measure any type of relationship between x and y. The measure of variance square of standard deviation in x is the square of a measure of a scatter or dispersion or spread in x. Faulty conclusion. Correspondingly, the joint dispersion or joint scatter in the copilot that is xy is measured by the covariance between x and y. 
a scale free covariance as the correlation where degenerates variables are excluded hence correlation can only measure joint scatter in x and y and it cannot measure any type of relationship between x and y also correlation as a measure of joint scatter can make sense only when the variables involved have a joint distribution in the statistical sense all the conclusion of the chapter by computing correlations are faulty another set of analysis is based on fitting linear models calling them as linear regressions in the regression models used variables are seted, selected according to convenience and linear models are fitted and t statistics are computed without checking for the validity all sorts of conclusion are made such misuse of statistical tool is a dangerous game certainly in a democracy which as js mill famously said is a government by discussions discussions are relevant and truthful only when they are well informed and reliable Social justice is an intrinsic value of universal relevance. Box 1 of chapter 4 that goes to justify the poverty and inequality trade-off in totalitarian China is obviously introduced to support the inegalitarian policy options. Thomas Piketty refers to in the chapter tells us that inequality increased much more sharply after 1980 in India than in China. This is conveniently forgotten. A sidelining. Although the works of great thinkers on justice and equality such as John Rawls, Piketty and Wilkinson and Piketty, Pickett are mentioned, they are sidelined. It is concluded that poverty elevation through growth, growth must be central to economic strategy rather than inequality because in India, economic growth and inequality converge in terms of their effects on socio-economic indicators. This is untenable. Rawls, A Theory of Justice, 1931, treats justice as a fairness which is the basic core of democratic tradition the world over. The chapter refers to the idea of original position of equality of the roles but fails to note that it will have to be judged by the whole theory of justice the book the spirit level by the two doctors wilkinson and pickett based on 50 years of research has a meaningful subtitle why equality is better for everyone or to have been discussed further because they argue that inequality breeds mistrust mental illness and many such outcomes which needs to be reduced for human well-being Instead of dismissing it, it is discussion on Piketty's capital ideology is certainly warranted for three valid reasons. It is well-documented historical study on inequality which comes to the striking conclusion that inequality is neither economic or technological, but ideological and political. India has elaborate, elaborately studied It discusses a wide range of policy issues relevant for a democratic society facing the COVID-19 pandemic like universal basic income, progressive taxation of income, carbon emission, property inheritance, universal access to fundamental goods such as health, education and housing and so on. The economic survey has all the rights to suggest, suggest what it considers relevant. But democracy demands informed debate, especially when it comes to eco- economic inequality which has been admittedly growing exponentially in India. Legitimizing it by the policy think tanks is indeed questionable. Emmy Oman is a honorary honorary fellow Center for Development Studies Tiruvananthapuram.
reviving the Iran deal. Biden needs to seal the nuclear deal before hardliners gain the upper hand in Iran. US President Joe Biden's attempts to revive the joint comprehensive plan of action that is JCPOA, better known as the Iran nuclear deal, have not seen any breakthrough with both sides waiting for the other to blink. The Biden administration says it would return to the deal if Iran starts complying with its terms. Tehran on the other side as a US which unilaterally quits the deal under the Donald Trump administration in May 2018 to return to the agreements first and lift sanctions on Iran. The EU's efforts to organize direct US Iran talks were also unsuccessful as Tehran reportedly rejects the offer. Iran has also accelerated its nuclear program. This game of chicken continues as the clock is ticking. The Iran will elect a new president in June. Hossein Rouhani, Rouhani who bet his presidency on the deal only to be repudiated by Mr Trump cannot stand in a third consecutive election. There is no guarantee that moderates like Mr Rouhani would be elected this time. And it is not a secret that there is considerable opposition among the hardliners, a powerful constituency towards any kind of engagement with the US. Mr Biden's best bet is to get the nuclear agreement back on track before Mr Rouhani leaves office. To be sure, Mr. Biden has moved with a sense of urgency after assuming power. He appointed a special envoy for Iran, showed signs of rebalancing ties with Saudi Arabia and sent clear signals to Tehran about America's desire to get back to the deal. But these actions do not seem to be enough to rebuild the trust after the acrimonious Trump use. Some of Iran's concerns are genuine. After the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, Iran had cooperated with the US in the war against the Taliban. But once the Taliban were driven out of power, the Bush administration branded Iran as a part of an excess of evil. Along with Iraq and North Korea, as President Barack Obama offered diplomacy, the Iranians grabbed the opportunity leading to the signing of the JCPOA in 2014. And Iran was fully compliant with the agreement when Mr. Trump pulled the U.S. out of it. So Iran would seek some consistency in U.S. policy. But Iran is also in a tough spot. Hit by sanctions and devastating COVID-19 outbreak, its economy is bleeding. It has violent, uh, violently cracked down on protests in 2019-20, the embers of which are still burning. Its regional operations took a hit after Qasem Soleimani was assassinated by the U.S. in January 2020. Its assets in Syria are under repeated airstrikes by Israel. Last week, the US had also bombed pro-Iranian militants in Syria. Both sides are under pressure. Both sides need a deal. The US wants to scuttle Iran's nuclear program and Iran wants relief from sanctions. They should stick to the diplomatic path for a breakthrough. of the day is back to the future. The economy may have emerged from the woods, but challenges loom. After two quarters of a sharp contraction, India's economy is estimated to have rebounded out of a technical recession to record female growth in the October-December 2020 period, with GDP rising by 0.4% and GVA by 1%. The overall numbers are not surprising. Just as the short-notice pandemic lockdown and the subsequent case surge took the wind out of mobility and economic activity in the first half of the fiscal years, the unlocking phase that was largely completed by last September brought back a semblance of normalcy. With pent-up and festive demands, 
spurring spending and helping reboot production lines agriculture remained the resilient bulwark in the third quarter as well with farm gva rising by 3.9% after being the sole sectors to clock growth in the preceding two quarters manufacturing and construction resurfaced from a collapse to expand 1.2% and 6% respectively both these sectors had been under stress even before the pandemic posting contractions starting from the second and third quarters of 2019 to 20 despite the center's push on the government spending public administration defense and other service contracted by 1.5% last quarter however investment demand is estimated to have rebounded with fixed capital formation posting positive momentum after several quarters driven perhaps by public spending most worryingly retail trade hotels transport and communication contracted by 7.7% despite third quarter uptick the second advance estimates of national income for the year projects an 8% contraction in the gdp rather than the 7.7% estimated in january this may partly be due to the nso revising the first quarter gdp shrinkage to 24.4% from the 33 23.9% calculated earlier The latest number also may be taken as an indicator at best with the NSO stressing that the estimates are likely to undergo sharp revisions as the pandemic affected data collection like the growth rate for 2019 to 20 was revised from 4.2% to 4% in January the real gdp growth for the third quarter of the last fiscal has been scaled down to 3.3% and from 4.1% the base effect may well have helped nudge india's growth into positive territory but it is an important psychological barrier to cross growth numbers alone may still not be capturing the tumult faced by swathes of informal and micro enterprises nor do they reflect a recovery in the job market the continuing stress in employment and contact intensive services sector is a worry and the government must consider support measures the second wave of infections in industrial hotspots such as maharashtra and the risk of infections rising in the poor bound states do not bode well either for services or the fragile recovery in manufacturing smooth and expeditious rollout of the vaccine with the private sector drafted in to achieve skill is an imperative to help india navigate the bumps ahead more deftly the fifth article of the day is the path to peace in ethiopia post conflict restructuring restructuring work must go beyond meeting short term security and humanitarian needs this article is written by tefsi gola and hani beseda the catalyst uh, the catas clism in ethiopia's tigray region and the country's humanitarian crisis give rise to concerns of a long term regional deterioration without a clear framework for peace building post conflict reconstruction and transitional justice the country is at risk of drastically postponing both political economic recovery this has an implication not only for ethiopia but also the entire horn of africa region which is already plagued by the low level conflict and even economic development border disputes continued few food insecurity climate change a precarious political situation and a dire refugee crisis the conflict the breakdown in the already strained re- uh, relations between the federal government and adidas 
Addis Ababa and the Tigray's People's Liberation Front leaders in Tigray has resulted in the national crisis. In 2018, anti-government protests by marginalized Oromo population forced the TPLF to step down, resulting in the election of Prime Minister A.B. Ahmed and a subsequent crackdown on Tigrayan politicians for corruption and human rights abuses. Internal conflicts in Ethiopia has resulted in the death of 52,000 people and displacements of over 2 million, over 60,000 of whom have taken refuge in Sudan's eastern border. This has triggered an influx of Sudanese and Eritrean military. The personal near Ethiopia's northern frontier. The complex process of developing a post-conflict reconstruction for framework requires a comprehensive analysis one that compels immediate coordination between the federal regional and local governments independent and partial educators civil society and victims and community groups the various levels of government needs to be responsible for two roles first the generation of effective regional security architecture for uncomplicated jurisdictions and Second, a narrowed scope and mandate for reconciliation commission and its independent committee of facilitators. Independent mediators and educations can further assist in framing post-conflict models. Currently, Ethiopia is attempting to tackle its domestic emergency. This phase includes securing a military conflict-free environment, addressing increased displacement, allowing access to basic needs, assistance for citizens at risk of famine, and strengthening the humanitarian capacity in conflict ridden areas the part that requires more attention given that it has been more than 4 months since the in- initiation of military conflicts in the The Tigray would be the medium and long-term phases. This would mean examining how Ethiopia's response in rebuilding trust and consensus in state institutions will impact its political, economic, and security stability. Internally, the federal government would be urged to consider steps in effectively building frameworks for accountability, transparency, and power distribution for inclusive national system of governance. This is particularly important for combating the contentious nature of Ethiopia's ethnic federalist system and its lack of non-partisan platforms for political dialogue this would help build an environment that promotes the establishment of trust and cooperation amongst its largest and historically conflicted oromo amhara and tigrayan groups further preventing a relapse into a state of emergency cities in the northern gondar zone such as wilket would have been under the contested control of tplf forces for decades will require socio economic transitional institutions for effective post conflict recovery in walkayat's case this includes initiating healing dialogues among amhara and tigrayan groups establishing efforts to integrate the city's education currently only taught in tigrayna and economy into the rest of the neighboring amharic speaking region taking a long term view a lack of transitional process will result and result to violence and not only the t- Tigray region but also in other regions where there are rising ethnic tensions this threatens to derail the economic process progress made over the last few decades the best way to prevent the same chain of events that led to the 2010 post election violence in cote d'ivoire is to begin structuring a post conflict environment that promotes a peaceful transition the focus of regional and international media have been heavily geared towards ethiopia's immediate elevation of humanitarian streams but meeting short term security and humanitarian needs although extremely important should not be the sole focus of a sustainable recovery agenda it is imp- 
imperative to recognize a broader view and develop uh, develop successful post conflict reconstruction policies before stability is beyond reach tefsi gola is a researcher with an institute for natural resource and uh, resource and sustainable development that is INRSD and Carleton University's Institute of African Studies and Heni Beseda is executive di- director of INRSD and research professor at Carleton University's Institute of African Studies next article is recalibrating relations with eu forging stronger ties with the region could help india and strengthen manufacturing and revitalize exports this article is written by jan b singh and neha raman the atmanirbhar bharat program and the budget 2021 to 22 have set the tone and tenor to bolster supply chains and achieve self reliance a self reliant india however cannot be economy economically insular realizing the vision of self reliant india would entail localizing an increasing share of value added along supply chains through investment and phase wise reduction of import tariffs with strategic partners such as eu export potential india has an untapped export potential of 39.9 billion dollars in the eu and western europe the top products with export potential includes apparel gems and jewels chemicals machinery automobile pharmaceuticals and plastic india benefits from tariff preferences under the eu's generalized system of preferences for several of those products in fact india is among the major beneficiaries of eu's gsp with a exports under the gsp valued at nearly 19.5 billion dollar billion dollars in 2019 accounting for nearly 3.37% of india's merchandise exports to the eu however there are several products where india has export potential in the eu but these have graduated or are at the brink of graduation under the eu gsp Product graduation applies when an average imports of a product from a beneficiary country exceeds 17.5% of EU's GSP imports of the same products from all beneficiary countries over 3 years. India's exports of products such as textiles, inorganic, organic chemicals, gems and jewelries, iron and steel and their articles, base metals and automotive are already out of the ambit of EU's GSP benefits. There is also a likelihood of le- losing new GSP benefits in other categories such as apparel, rubber, electronic items, sports goods and toys due to product graduation. In apparel, in India's in apparel india's exports to the eu were valued at 7 million dollars in 2019 so which nearly 94% was under eu gsp indicative of the impact that the graduation may have on apparel exports meanwhile india's competitors in apparel exports such as bangladesh would continue to receive tariff benefits in eu under everything but arms initiative another competitor vietnam concluded a free trade agreement and with the eu in 2019 in light of the declining preferential access and the possible erosion of competitive place complete competitiveness in the eu market there is clearly a need to deepen trade and investment ties with the region approach to ftas india's negotiation for a bra- bra- broad based trade and investment agreement which commenced in 2007 is yet to materialize due to lack of con- concurrence in areas like automotives and dairy and marine products india's cautious approach to ftas derives from its past experiences of benefits in several ftas signed by 
the country therefore a, uh, a thorough assessment of the benefits from the fta for domestic producers is warranted with due consideration to the impact on sensitive sectors and possibility of inclusions of safeguards such as sunset clauses on concessions for some items further there should also be provision for aspects such as investments and uh, non tariff measures China has already negotiated a comprehensive agreements on investment. India also needs to negotiate on investment related aspects with the EU to enhance bilateral investments and foster stronger values chains. Especially in technology intensive sectors in which the EU has a comparative advantage as far as NDMs are concerned, India faces as many as 414 NDMs in the EU in a wide array of sectors. FTAs have some institutional arrangements for NDMs. India should critically review the availability of availability of such arrangements in its negotiations as also their operationalization and effectiveness. Post Brexit EU finds itself in the midst of growing need for recalibrating ties with its partner countries. Forging stronger ties with the region through a mutually beneficial agreement could help strengthen Indian manufacturing and revitalize the flailing export. Janvi Singh and Nehra Raman are economists with Indian Exim Bank's views are their personal.